This week's episode is another two-parter, having a great conversation with Mindy about her life in the military, her experience with yoga, and her transition from being in the military for 20 years and moving into civilian life. There is a second part that I can't wait to sh share with you as well. She is writing a book, and you'll have to check back in for the second half of the episode to find out what that book is about, because it's a very interesting subject, unfortunately a tragic subject. So please join us back on Wednesday to listen to the second half of this conversation with Mindy. As always, I thank you so much for listening and please feel free to share with anyone that you think would be interested in listening to the stories of these amazing women that are the ladies of the pod. Stories, we all have them. They're the compilation of your journey from where you started to how you ended up where you are today. Titanium Blonde is all about sharing women's stories. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between all of that. I'm Sherry Eckert. This is Titanium Blonde Talks, and I'd like to know, what's your story? Hello, and thank you for joining me today for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks, the podcast all about women and sharing their stories. Today joining me is Mindy, and she was in the Navy for 20 years, a single mom for 10 years, and had a surprise baby five years ago. So now she has a 20-year-old and a five-year-old. She did her yoga teacher training in 2014, and for the last five years, there's been quite a bit of transition in her life. And I'm going to have Mindy tell you all about how she got to where she is today. Thank you for joining me today, Mindy. Thank you, Sherry. So why don't you kind of give us... Um, a little brief description about what you were doing in the Navy for 20 years. Okay, great. So I joined the Navy, I would say out of desperation, it was either that or it was the fast track to nowhere. And um, I thought, well, I'll join, I'll kind of get my life on course and figure some things out and get out after my first tour. And I stayed for 20 years. It was just so good. I started what we call undesignated, just kind of like, you don't really have a real job or designated job, you'll go wherever. And I started in Great Lakes, Illinois, and then quickly went into the dental field. And so I did dental hygiene and dental assisting. And then um, we merged with the medical field, the medical rating hospital corpsman. And then I, I went into that field. And then as I made rank, you know, you do more administration. So my last tour in the Navy, I was a uh, medical officer recruiter here in Phoenix, which is what led me here. Yeah, my career was not extremely exciting or risk-taking, but it worked out because I was a single mom. It really worked out for right. me the way, yeah. yeah, the direction it went. Was it just like you went, I'm not quite sure what else I'm going to do. I, I guess I'll sign up for the Navy or did you see a recruiter or how, how, oh my gosh. how did all of that happen? <laughs> okay. So I was, I graduated in 93 and I mean, I really was a poor student, poor work ethic. I mean, really a I really feel like a complete mess. And so I was working at Bellis Fair Mall in Bellingham. And <laughs> I know, and I met somebody, I don't know how I met this girl. And she was my age and she said, yeah, you know, oh yeah, we can hang out. I'm going into the Coast Guard in about a month. And I thought, what, you're doing what? And I befriended her and she really sold me on all the benefits. I mean, she could have been a recruiter about the vacation days and the education and wow, it's so exciting and all of this stuff. and. 
her dad had a sailboat and we went out and stayed the night in her sailboat out on the water one night. And I said, well, I don't think I want to join the Coast Guard. Maybe I'll join the Air Force. My grandfather was in the Air Force. So I went to the Air Force recruiter in Bellingham and said, I want to join. He said, you're overweight. And I said, okay. So I went and lost 10 pounds. And I came back and said, okay, I lost 10 pounds. He goes, you're still overweight. So I went and lost more weight, came back. And he goes, you know what? You'd be good for the Navy. Let me walk you down to the, his office. And I just <laughs> said, oh, right. Like, it's not like I had a ton of options. So I just said, sure. Okay. I went down there and it that was it. I just said, I want to join the Navy. And I said, do I have to go on a boat? And he laughed. He goes, you mean a ship? And I said, yeah, do, do I have to do that? And he goes, yeah, most likely. And I said, okay. And I joined. And then I left for boot camp September of 1994 and went to Great Lakes. And yes, it, here's what led me to think, oh my gosh, I need to do something different. I was working at the mall. I lived in an apartment in a little twin size bed and I got a cold, but I thought like, I'm pretty sick here. And I thought, gosh, what do you do? Do you even do you call the doctors? I mean, I don't, do you think you have to do insurance? You know, what do you do? I didn't, you don't know when you're a kid. And um, I just thought this isn't looking really good for me. I, I don't know where my future's headed, but I don't think I like it. And the military honestly changed uh, my life. I mean, I, it completely changed. I'm, I'm just a completely different person. The leadership and what you learn and then the confidence that you gain through so many, you know, training evolutions and things like that. Um, and it's really, I, it was the first organization or body of people that I ever belonged to that I, I felt like I belonged and I felt like that I could be something. It was really life-changing. Did they take care of training you for everything you needed to do, et cetera? Yeah. Everything. I mean, everything. But I also, so I stayed in clearly. And then I got my bachelor's and I went to school at night and on the weekends. And then I wanted, I thought, well, I'll apply for a commission to be an officer. I started working on a master's and then they changed the criteria twice while I was doing that. Anyway, by the time I finished my master's, I think I was at 16 years in and you would have had, I would have had to dedicate another 10 years. And I thought, no way. So, oh boy. Yeah. But, but I did get those two degrees on my own, but even then they provided so much financial aid, but yeah, every, it was just a really great experience. Well, you know, that's, that's interesting to hear because I haven't ever really had that much exposure to many women that have been in the military and, you know, that have gone through and, and actually made a career out of it. So it's an interesting story that you have to say about all of that. So you retired after 20 years of being in the, in the service and what did you decide that you, so was this the part where you're transitioning, where you're going to get remarried and, and. Right. Or, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I, you know what, at that, I had such a great life. I mean, I had no husband. I had one daughter in middle school. Life was just easy breezy. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it was totally interrupted and it ended up being in a good way. But yes, yeah, so I got, I got pregnant. I don't know why I thought at 38, I don't know. I just, you don't even think that, you know, it, it's like when you're young, you think I better really be careful here. And we were in a serious relationship, but I, I got pregnant and I said, I think we better lock this down. We better, we better make things pretty concrete here. So <laughs> we got married the same year I had the baby and it was one year before I retired from the Navy. So okay. my plans were, I've got these two degrees, I've got a good resume. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of had a pipeline that I, that I was going to go through and, um, and then that changed. And so, because I married someone in the military, then it was like, now I'm at his mercy. We had to transfer to Michigan right. for his job. And so, yeah, everything changed. 
So did you, did you um, have to relocate often while you were in your 20 years in service or? You know, um, I did, I only was stationed in four different states. So I was stationed in San Diego for training, but then I was stationed with the Marines um, for three years. So I, I, I don't need to go into all that, but anyway, I was stationed with them. And then in Great Lakes, Illinois, I was stationed there three times. I did three tours. So I did my initial oh, wow. tour there. Yeah. I was there working for security as a little 18, 19 year old gate guard. And then, um, left went to California, was there for a few years, went back, worked at the Naval hospital. And then when they merged medical and dental, they asked if I would go teach at our hospital, Corman Ace, which is right down the road. And that was good for me because I had just divorced now my ex-husband. So I was a little concerned how that would be. So it, it worked out good. And then I was stationed in Tennessee. So all inland. I never did go on a ship. Um, because wow. my train, yeah. I never <laughs> did go on the boat. Oh yeah, you're gonna have to go on a ship and you yeah. never had to go on a ship. I never did. I ended up my uh what they call sea duty was with the Marines. So I was trained with them rather than than going on a ship and then ultimately here in recruiting in Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah, not not very exciting. What led you to the yoga teacher training then? Okay, so out here I did medical officer recruiting and I went to one of the uh, the medical schools here and was really just kind of networking and um, I brought a water bottle to one of the ladies that I was you know really trying to build rapport with and uh, she goes, oh, thank you. This will be great for my hot yoga. And I said, oh, Bikram? And she said, no, it's called Sumits. And I said, well, tell me about that. I, I went to a Bikram yoga before and I thought I was going to die. And she yeah. said, no, no, dear God. And they're militant. I mean, I, well, I think so anyway. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, really like chin up, breathe in, don't move. And no, yeah, no, no joy in that. But uh, I asked her about it and there was one where I lived and I started going in 2010 and I loved it so much. There was music and there was flow and I just really loved it. So I thought I'll just own a yoga studio when I retire. No big deal. So I, <laughs> not happening. I go, th so when I was retiring, I thought, well, what now? And then I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to learn yoga, really learn it rather than being in a right. class with so many people. I want to really learn more about it. So I just did. There was an, another hot yoga studio here local that was putting it on and, and I went through it. I went through YTT then. And then, so what did you decide to do after that? Did you go into teaching after that? I mean, there are a lot okay. of people who go through teacher training and then don't end up teaching. So, okay. So I really loved it. I was very nervous because where I went through, there was a, a sequence. It was a dialogue. Just right. like Bikram, it was 80 minutes, but, um, but we did have to learn it while well, we were moving to Michigan and the owner would have loved to have me on while we were moving to Michigan. And I really went through, uh, I really think a depression of leaving, not having, I wasn't moving for my career. I wasn't moving for anything. And then right. I felt stuck with the yoga here. So I went there and thought, oh, the yoga was all horrible there. I, like I felt like, um, yeah, none of them were good. No, the studios aren't good and it's not hot. No, I was so critical. I was really just going through a personal time, but, but I was so used to here and I love the family. I love showing up and knowing the people and them knowing me. And so I got out of it. I did teach a couple private yoga sessions in my basement to some elderly women. And I think I, they thought I was crazy. I was really trying to make them flow and that was not what they were looking for. Yeah. You know, just yeah, and and I haven't. So I'm I'm back in Arizona now, and I have been, and I really let myself go out of it. I was I started to feel self conscious and sad that I had gotten out of it, and just kind of 
that's been part of the transition too for me, but I've started to go again. It's just, I love it. There's nothing I, I think I love more, but I will tell you this. When I went through YTT, there were portions of it that I was learning. And at the time I was really involved in my church and they said, the pastor said, you need to be very careful. It's, it's not in alignment with, um, you know, this and that. And I really blocked myself from absorbing, um, some of the elements and I'm not in that space anymore. Now I'm absorbing. And as a matter of fact, two days ago, I did something that I've never done before, a, a pose I've never done before. And I went into, um, a posture that I hadn't done since YTT. I don't know. I'm feeling just, I'm doing a lot of things that I, I blocked myself from doing before anything. It's allowing me to open up now. So what it, was it the, some of the spiritual pieces that the, yeah. that your pastor mm-hmm. and meditation, I, I was nervous to allow that. I, I don't know what I thought about it. And now I am, um, I'm meditating and it finally clicked the other day. Why? I, even then I thought it's kind of like when in the movie, Eat, Pray, Love, when Julia Roberts goes to pray and she's like, um, I don't know, like I'm your biggest fan. It's an awkward feeling at first. You don't know why am I doing this or what, what am I even doing this for? And it dawned on me the other day, why we meditate. And I heard it before. I just didn't know that I, knew how to ever apply it because it's so new to me. And I, I really think that things are changing in my life because of it. I really think so. And yeah. I'm new. It's an incredible practice. It is, it's, for me, it's like yoga. It, it Every time you step on your mat, it's a different practice. You have to meet yourself right where you are in that moment in time. And anything can change. Your balance changes every hour throughout the day, your perspective changes. And so the thing I call yoga and meditation, one of the most humbling practices that you can ever pursue, because it keeps you, if you're really plugged in and present, it keeps you very honest with exactly where you are in your body and where you are in your life. And if you approach it from that standpoint of having a curiosity about every time you step on the mat of having that conversation with your body while you're there, then it's your body is always speaking. We don't always pay attention. And so being able to have that, and I, for me, sometimes I look at it backwards. There's a lot of people who say, you know, you do the physical practice of yoga to prepare yourself to sit in meditation. And sometimes for me, I find it's the opposite. I sit in meditation to be able to open my mind and my heart to be able to have that conversation with my body as I start to move on my mat. And the interesting thing for me about meditation, and I don't know, you know, how much education you've had around meditation, but there are so many different ways to meditate besides just sitting and oming or saying a mantra or whatever it is. And, you know, there's moving meditations, there's meditation out in nature, there's, there's so many different aspects to meditation that when you let go of just the same thing with yoga for me is when you let go of the expectations about what it should look mm -hmm. like and allow yourself to be open to what is or the possibility of what might be that it's a totally different experience really so totally, i'm really totally new different. no but i want to god i would love to learn more about the meditation and experience i mean i could just go do it on a mountain i mean i don't i don't think i need to be invited or it that it has to be some routine, but no, I'm new, new, very, very new. And all I've done so far is in my space and my office at home. I'm just so new. 
But one thing that I have told myself is before I write, I'll meditate to see if I can clear some space. But I, I feel like I'm experiencing more what you experience where the movement part was always just the physical part for me. Oh, I'm burning calories and I'm moving and I'm, it's, I'm looking better. And now it's, it's different than that. I'm thinking about clearing the expectations and gosh, well, all kinds of things. So I, I am believing that the meditation part of my life now will really help with my thoughts, my responses, my reactions in life. It's like outside of that. I've been practicing yoga for 26 years. I've been teaching for 17. So I've seen a lot of the sort of the, the fatty things kind of come and go. And it's so interesting from the standpoint of how I teach is that at this particular point in time in my life, I'm thinking about longevity in my practice, right? So I'm no longer, I mean, I have broken bits and pieces in my body that don't always allow, I can't always do the handstands and all the arm balances, but that doesn't mean it can't be a very fulfilling or incredible practice by not doing those things. So I'm looking at longevity and how I used to practice when I was younger and where I'm at in this particular point in time in my life is thinking about the fact that when I was younger, any of the injuries or like car accidents or any kind of trauma that the body has suffered, we tend to forget that the body holds on to those things, whether it be physical or emotional and holds on to that. It creates this sort of this space in your body where you hold on to that. And as you get older, all of those little bro broken bits and pieces that you thought healed up and went away when you were younger, they come back to talk to you later. And sometimes they talk really loud. And so I'm thinking about more now about functional movements, about I've never been a, a real fast vinyasa kind of an instructor anyway. I'm not a, a a fervent supporter or of hot yoga either, because I truly believe that you need to heat the body from the inside out. I've put enough people back together after they practiced hot yoga and superheated their body from the outside in, and then were too mobile and didn't realize they injured themselves until after the class was over with. So especially for, for people who are new and they don't always understand the practice or the poses, I look at things like getting into a warrior two and having a conversation with yourself about how does this feel with my knee? How does this feel for my hip? What's one thing I can do that would make it more easeful for me to be in this place? And am I and, even safe? Am I even in a safe correct, position? Correct. Because you could do it for years and not even know that where your foot is, you're going to end up having knee pain. Well, and, and the reality is, is that every single body that walks through the door to take a yoga class somewhere is incredibly different, right? We all walk around with all of the stuff that we've done as we've lived our lives. So though there are so-called ideal spaces to be in a traditional yoga practice, I try to make sure to remind my students that this is your practice, that you're empowered to make adjustments, modifications, anything that you need to do to make it so that it's more doable for your body because you walk around in your body all day, every day. I don't, you right. know what feels good and what doesn't. And so that's really for me, especially for women is giving them the, the space to be able to own their body, to be able to feel that they have the authority over what's going on instead of thinking that they have to do the pose exactly the way I'm doing it or the exactly the way that I'm, I'm cueing them to do it. 
I'm trying to teach them so that no matter where they go, no matter who they take from, that they have the capacity to move in their body in the spaces that they know that are safe for them. And that if someone comes to try and push them or pull them or do something that they can say, you know, thank you, don't, or please don't touch me or whatever it is, or to, to have the wherewithal to go to an instructor and say, I'm dealing with, you know, a few body issues, I'm taking care of this. So if I do a pose a little differently, that's why I want you to know what's going on. And that's the best thing that you can do as a yoga student when you go into a new class with a new teacher is to tell them, I have some issues going on with my hip or my knee or my foot or my, you know, whatever, and I'm taking care with those spaces. So I may be doing some modifications. The word empowering is really hard for me because I think it's been so overused. But really for women, I mean, that that's where it's at is being able to give them to the power over their body to use their voices, to be able to take control and actually be able to learn to have that conversation with their body regularly, a conversation that's positive, right? And not, we all have those conversations with ourselves when we look in the mirror and go, oh God, oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, if we even I, dare to look in the mirror, that's right. Like, you know, I, and it's. I look fat today or I don't, you know, my hair, you know, whatever it is, but to be able to come to the mat and to be able to have it be a safe place in the room with everybody else and to then be able to have that open, curious conversation with your body of, does this really feel good for me? Right. If not, what do I need to do? What props do I need to use? And so for me, that's all about putting the class in a pose and then spending five or 10 breaths there so that they can get the feel Mm. of what it should feel like. And what does it mean if I bend my knee or move my foot or shift my arm or, or whatever it is, but then it's an exploration instead of this, this regimented, this is how you do it. This is the way it should look. If you're not doing that, then it's wrong kind of thing. Well, yoga is the first, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. It's the first physical practice that, I learned. Now, in the beginning, I didn't think so. When I went through YTT, I have never done an inversion, even to this day. And I don't want to. I don't know what it is. I don't want to. I don't feel comfortable. And also, I never thought I had a, you know, quote unquote, yoga body. Yeah, but there is no yoga body. I know. And I (laughs) thought that. And I, it's the only physical practice that there isn't. There is not. It doesn't exist. And I don't have to do anything that my body doesn't want to do or that I feel unsafe or uncomfortable, or maybe my desire is just not there. Maybe that's not the way I practice yoga, but it's the first physical practice where also you're not in a room with someone going more and more, you know, five more, let's go, where there's just zero judgment. I just really love it. But you know what I love that you said you're focusing more on functional Yes. Yoga, which I got to tell you, I'm like, wait, I don't even know what that is. I want to know more. Well, so if you think about functional movement, so, so here's, you know, and like I said, this is a long time practice. I've also lived my, my life as a high contact sport for most of my life. Right. So I played softball for close to 40 years. I was a ballerina for 17 years. So I've, I've heavily used my body in thinking about patterns of motion how we all have patterns of motion, how we walk, how we sit, 
how we hold ourselves, how we move. If we have injuries, the body naturally tries to move itself and to hold itself in a place with the least amount of pain and still be able to move. So then the body then makes modifications in how it moves because you're compensating in other areas Mm -hmm. to take up for somewhere that's in pain. When that injury or that pain then goes away, the body doesn't go back to the previous pattern of motion. You've set up a habit and it stays there, right? So it's about having to retrain your movement. But if you think of something like a chaturanga, which Mm -hmm. I refer to as the shoulder shredder, because it is. And if you have a long time practice, you're, I mean, most of the yogis that I know that have been practicing for 10 plus years, they've got wrist issues, shoulder issues, hip issues, knee, you know, all sorts of things because they either push themselves too hard earlier in their practices and, or doing too many repet, you know, I mean, I've been in classes where all you do is freaking forward folds, jump back, chaturanga. And most people, I've been in classes where they have cued that you roll forward onto your toes and then go down. Well, that puts all of your weight forward into your shoulders instead of leaving it back in the heels and asking all of those powerful leg muscles to help lower you down, right? Yeah. So I I don't even teach chaturanga anymore. I have, most of my students are midlife and older and some people don't like that. Some people want to continue to go on shredding their shoulders and that's fine. And they can find any number of yoga instructors that will help them do that. But I truly believe that the the better you take care with what you're doing and the more you think about functional movements, full ranges of motion, actually activating your muscles to help support your ligaments and your joints instead of hanging out in those spaces and overextending and doing all of that, that the longer you're going to be able to practice. And I don't know anybody and especially older folks, because I work with senior citizens as well. You know, their, their thing is they're, they're concerned about falling and they're concerned about staying as independent and as flexible and moving as independently for as long as they possibly can. Well, that means you're trying to balance out those areas in the body. You're trying to, what I call, peel the layers of the onion back after you've lived a life holding your, doing, you know, whatever it is, that that then is is all around those functional movements. What do you need to do to be able to create expansion in the body safely? I love that. Yeah, I think I need to broaden my horizons outside of hot yoga. <laughs> well, and and so my suggestion always to my students is because we, you know, we we are creatures of habit for a reason. Because there's a a great book called Oh God, I'll have to look it up because I can't remember off the top of my head. But the name of the book is Habit and Why It Is That We Do What We Do, and it's basically the analogy was think about you, you buy a new house and it's got a really long driveway and you have to back out of your driveway and think about how hard you have to focus and concentrate so you don't go into the ditch on either side. Right. But then all of a sudden you, and without you realizing it, each time you do it, you have to think about it a little less, a little less, a little less until you get to the point where you can get in your car and just, you know, barrel down the driveway without really having to pay attention. The brain does that so that it then creates space for you to be able to focus on other things and those repetitive motions, then it's just muscle memory is what it is. So it's, it's the same sort of thing is that, you know, that happens in all areas of our life because that's how the brain works. 
But it almost seems like then that gives us the ability to function mindlessly because we're doing well, things without even thinking about it sometimes. Well, that's correct. I mean, you know, I'm, well, I mean, if you think about breathing, we, we have to do that without really thinking about it. But yeah. if, you, if you dig a little deeper into breath work, most people don't take a full breath during the day, right? Especially if they get stressed, there's anxiety, you know, whatever it is, they start to take shallow and shallower breaths and they're only breathing into their upper body. And research has shown that the side of the breath that suffers the most is the exhale. And that's what turns on your parasympathetic nervous system that allows the body to calm down and relax. That's why there are so many people that, you know, they feel the tension in their neck and shoulders because this is all they're breathing. They're, they're just like this all day, every day. Right. If it happens often enough, which we all know that as life speeds up faster and faster, that stress and anxiety become more a part of our day, right? We live in that fight or flight mode uh, many more hours during a day than we were designed to. And it's habit, right? And the reality is, is if you start to feel that happening in your body, because it happens in your body before actually you think about it in your brain, right? So before your brain actually recognizes what's happening, there's, there's something going on in your body it's happening in your body. Well, one thing that I've been my entire life is reactive and mm. not reactive in a good way. It's funny because we're speaking of yoga, but my experience is almost all hot yoga and there's, and it's a lot of flowing and there's not a lot of time to have a conversation with yourself. No, or, or spirituality or to even stay in a pose. I mean, sometimes you're a warrior being you're, you better hurry because now you're moving into reverse and you're going, going, going. But right now me meditating one, one real thing I want to notice that I'm doing differently. And I, I think I am noticing it is not reacting, just taking the time to think about it and think, is this terminal? You know, what, what I'm feeling right now is, what does this mean? And I'm barely scratching the surface, but that's mm -hmm. one thing that I really want to think of the reactive is because I am a, I'm a, I'm a runaway bride and I'm a runaway, I'm a flight person. And so that it's just, just, I'm just at a time in my life that that can change. I'm only 43. It doesn't matter how change. old you are. It can always change. Yeah. I, you know, the interesting thing is, is I just went to a fitness convention down in San Diego, a, I don't know, three weeks or so ago. One of the key speakers there was Mel Robbins. Have you heard of her? I have, but I don't know much. She is a, an inspirational speaker and, you know, she's she's been around for a while, but she's the one that wrote the book, The Five Second Rule. And no, I don't even know that book. Oh, well, it's The Five Second Rule. And she talked about The Five Second Rule at the conference that I saw her. And in the certain part of your brain where you are having those negative, what I call the gerbil on the wheel conversations where your brain just spins around incessantly, mm -hmm. you know, saying all of those negative, those mean girl things that we say, or you get caught in a loop of what somebody else has said or done and running that over in your head. And if you stop and say five, four, three, two, one, it moves it from the, the brain on the side of the head to the front of your head. And it causes you to then be able to take a step, do something different, think about something different, whatever it is. And that's kind of just a, um, yeah. a, a quick overview of that. But she has some, I, I like her. She's probably not for everyone. She's direct. Mm -hmm. She's straightforward. Like she has very actionable. And I would say, I would say easy, but 
anything that has to do with dealing with your unwinding your habitual patterns that you do is not necessarily easy. But she just had a new book that came out in February called Take Control of Your Life. And she's talking in this book and get the audible version of it. I don't know if it's out in in hardback, but she narrates it. And there are case studies where she has whoever it is that she's coaching in their own voices is telling their story. And she talks about the fact that patterns of behavior that we developed as children, right, as we that we developed in our family that we grew up in and that we there are there are certain patterns of behavior there's the you know the 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 flight right you you retreated in order to 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 protect yourself it's whatever those patterns were that we created to to protect ourselves and how those then carry over into later in life even though it doesn't have to do with the family situation but those your coping mechanisms that you developed and so being able to recognize what those are being able to figure out kind of why they happened and then she gives you very clear actionable steps on how to make changes to change those patterns of behavior those reactive things for you are you're feeling threatened for some for some reason on some level that's your your reaction and so you're probably if you stop and think about what's going on in your body, right? So do you feel it in your in in your stomach? Is it in your heart? Does your do your lungs constrict? Does your throat close off? Do you, you know, do, do you So cry, I normally you know, get neck pain. I'll I'll start feeling and I'll start going like this. And physically that's what I experience. And she's you know. the one, you know, and she's the one who solidified, you know, because for me it's always been you have a bodily reaction that when something's going on, it happens in your body first. And then that's what signals your brain. All of a sudden it's like, oh, holy shit, this is not good. Right. So she's really sort of solidified for me that I was on the right track, but even taking that knowledge a little bit deeper in terms of how do you look at that? What, when you stop and think about, and then she has you stop and think about what's, where's, what's the fear? What are you afraid of? You know, what is the fear that's causing this? So and, I wonder, was she meaning when she said it, when you do the five, four, three, two, one, I wonder if that was switching it from the emotional part of your brain to the logical, and then you can think clearly rather than emotionally. You know, I, I've forgotten the parts of the brain. Yeah. I need to, I'm going to check her out. Talking about, but it, it was so incredible. And I, and I've tried it enough times ever since I saw her That's the first time I've ever, I mean, I've seen her a couple of times on the audible page when I've gone up to look for books, but not really paid that much attention, but she is, she's pretty riveting in person when she's talking. I mean, and she talks about in this book, she talks about that she was the most requested female speaker in 2017 that she gave over 100 talks. She was on the road for 240 days in 2017. And she said, she said, I thought that's what I wanted to do. And then I got there and I went, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be gone that much from my family. I don't want to be in a hotel room all of that time. I, you know, so it, it was, it was very interesting to 
to see her live and in person and and have her talk about these things. And then I, I believe that she's got a couple other Audible books up there. But this one that I got that just came out in February is is a phenomenal book. And okay. that she, and that she's actually got, I think it's like four or five people that she works with and they are they're live recording with her and you get their that. you get their emotional reactions to what she's saying and it it's it's been it's been very interesting and i walked away from the whole thing seeing her going you know she's intriguing to me i'm not quite sure why and then i did a little bit more research and then i just happened to see this book and i started listening to it and i was driving down the road going holy shit this woman is like brilliant yeah okay well i can't wait so audio i'm going to do that yeah, you know that makes okay. You know that makes me think of. Uh, have you read Brene Brown? Any oh of her God, stuff? Every single one of them, right? Like who? <laughs> I know. Most of well, them more than once. Yeah, I know. My favorite one is Braving the Wilderness. But I one thing that recently I read that just keeps sticking with me is when you're in a heated moment, you have this is the way I took it. You have two options. You can either self protect or you can be vulnerable. Right. And I'm very self-protective, which really means defensive and, um, and, oh no, you're not. And, and this is, you know, what happens is then I walk away or leave and I don't do that now, but I still think that there's some things that are a little unresolved, but I'm feeling a switch because I'm really opening up finally. Well, you, you know what you have now? And while you refer to it as opening up, what I kind of see it as is you've now developed this awareness, you're understanding what's happening, right? I knew you were going to say that word. <laughs> because you, what you've done now is, is you've learned those habitual patterns that you do, right? You've, you're able to verbalize, here's what happens. This makes me react. Here's the reason why. And then I walk away the combination of bringing more awareness around your patterns of behavior or your patterns of reactivity, as well as adding in the meditation part where you're really focusing on breathing, you're really turning on that down regulation of your central nervous system. You're taking those long, full, deep breaths that allow the body to actually relax. And you're, you're allowing all of those. There are days when I sit down, and I can meditate and I come away from the whole thing going, man, that was a fantastic meditation. And then there are days when I have to struggle my way through it where mm -hmm. I can't, I can't. And there's a great app that I got called One Giant Mind that's put together by a guy that's Australian. And I really loved some of his stuff where he talks about meditation and, and that you're not necessarily trying to empty out your mind and there's no one right way to meditate right. that you, you know, you're going to have days where you sit and you're going to have those thoughts that just crowd your head and you can't seem to find your way. And it's, um, you know, it's just like yoga. It's you show up without having an expectation and you, you approach from what is and just do your best to try and, you know, if you're I'm sitting. I'm finally approaching it. it that way though. Yeah. It, it never before did I. Conversation I had with a different guest where I was talking about, you read about these people, you know, that call themselves successful and the things that they do every day 
that they purport make them successful. You know, they, they meditate or, and they do yoga or some sort of physical practice and they write, whether it's in their journal or whatever it is. And they do, they don't look at their phone. I mean, there, there's all of these things that they do that they say are what make them successful. And while I think that's admirable and I'm, in favor of anything that helps you to make you feel like you're successful. I also think that sets up a space where people will look at that and go, well, if I don't do all of these things, then I won't be successful. Right. Or they'll stress themselves out trying to do all of those things. And now they're busy. And that defeats the purpose. It does because it's just like a diet or a lifestyle. There's no way that it, your life and what has seemed to unwind and unravel and what you've created, how there's no, you could never write that down step for step and tell me, Mindy, do that. And I, and I guarantee you will feel what I feel. It just will never happen. No, because just like your body holds on to everything that you've ever done in your life, your, your mind is the same way. Right. So we, you know, we all have, though we do have things that are connected, that are similar, that are some of the same things, how we process, how we internalize all of those things. You can have two people that go through the exact same experience and have two very different approaches to that. So this thing, this whole thing of a cookie cutter, if you do it this way, you'll be successful. If you do this and this and this and this, that's a recipe for success. My thing is, is that, you know what? Try all those things. Figure out what works for you. Maybe, yeah. only, maybe only one or two of them works for you and the rest of them don't work for you so much. But then you need to figure out, and that means being open and curious and willing to keep trying things, right? That's right. Because the, the worst thing you can do is just, and there are a lot of people who do this is, you know, it was too hard or it didn't go the way I thought it was going to do, or it didn't do the thing that I heard someone else say it was going to do. And they give up because for whatever reason, that's the path that they chose to take. It's one of those things where you start small, right? Just start small. Just do one thing. Don't, don't overwhelm yourself and go, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up at seven Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to write my journal for an hour and I'm going to meditate for 20 minutes and I'm going to do yoga yeah. for an hour. And, and I'm going to stop eating meat tomorrow too. But <laughs> you know, yeah, but you know what I, that makes me think of since I've retired now, it's been almost five years and I've tried a little, a lot of different things. And my husband would get frustrated and say, just, you know, stick with something. And, and I, or, or well, why would you try that? I mean, what about this? And I said, well, why wouldn't I try that? And here's what I'm, here's what I think. I think there are people who are afraid to try for whatever reason. They're afraid to try something oh. out because what if they're not good at it? Or maybe this, or maybe or that. Or they're going to fail. And failure is how you learn. That's right. Or that it has to be a huge commitment. The right. beauty is you can walk. We have so much freedom in walking away. I, people like me who are like, I'm interested. Let me try it out. And then. I thought maybe I'd be a real estate photographer. I went to one house. I shattered my camera. It broke oh, against no. her bathtub. But it wasn't just because of that. I didn't enjoy any of it. I didn't enjoy any of it. I will. So I'm not afraid of failing, but I think you have to try things. And it, it's not, sometimes it's not that you failed. It's just that you realize I don't even love this. I don't even have a desire to want to learn more or to try to be better at it or figure it out. And then you've got the things that won't leave your soul 
And, and that's with writing. I figured out, I didn't know that I loved to write. I was in the Navy for 20 years. You don't do things because you enjoy it. You do things because it's just what you do. You know, well, I, I was going to ask, ask about that because, you know, the, the military is, is very, there's schedules and you do things a certain way and things and layers of command and who gets to make this decision and where it goes and, and all of that. So that gave you, it sounds like some really good direction that you really needed to have in your life. Mm -hmm. And so are you finding that you're having a tough time transitioning to not having that sort of space in your life now or no? Well, I did. So I've retired. It was five years ago that I retired. Yeah. I would say the first two years were really, really, really hard on all levels. I remember one day, I was sweeping the kitchen that Ivy was a baby. I mean, we're about to move to Michigan, so I really can't go look for work or even work, I mean, anywhere. And I, my husband came home and I was crying and I said, look what a master's will get you. I can sweep a damn good floor. And I just felt like, what? I was stripped of my uniform. I was stripped of my career. I didn't have structure. I was now married. I wasn't, uh, I mean, everything had changed. It took me a long time. And then I think I've had to go through um, little odds and end jobs thinking maybe I like this, maybe I like that. And, and I don't. And it really, I'm not kidding. Up until two months ago, I was working at one of the largest healthcare organizations doing recruiting and I didn't love it, but I thought, well, we have bills to pay. My husband's still stationed in Tennessee. I've been in Arizona for two years without him. And I just thought about it. I was in the shower in January and I thought, did I just give up on the one thing that's in my heart? The one thing that I really want to do that I was doing, am I going to turn 53 and then 63 and then 73 and say, I really should have done that. Thank God there was just a day where I realized, no, I either have to, no, I don't want that to happen. You've got to go, you've got to listen to that, take control of your life because I think it will really help you with that. But that's part of it is, is that, you know, do... So you had so much structure yeah. for 20 years of your life and and you knew what was expected and where you needed to go and what you were doing. And now all of a sudden you're at a point in time in your life where you have the space and the capacity to try all sorts of things. And how do you know if you don't try them? That's the thing that I loved about listening to her say, I thought I wanted to be, you know, on the road doing all these conversations, having, giving these talks and I did it and I was the most requested and I got to the end of that year and went, I don't want to do this anymore. That's right. And And it doesn't mean she doesn't have something to say or share. It just means that is not the avenue she wants to deliver it consistently. And And there's nothing wrong with that. There isn't. And she said, you know, there's a whole thing that we are sold by society. We're marketed to, you know, you, you, you go to school, you get a college education, you, you get married, you get the house, you get the picket fence, you get the cars, you add on to the kitchen, you, you know, all, and buy these things. If you buy this, you'll, you'll be happy. Or if you, all of these things that we are marketed to and, and all of these, you know, traditional life paths that are supposedly acceptable, but there are so many other ways to live your life that are not necessarily considered traditional, but doesn't make them wrong. I feel like it's almost like a flow chart, right? Like, okay, do this, good, happy, do this, do this, do this. And at the very bottom, if you follow that flow chart, you'll reach joy, right? Like, okay, this, 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 and then you'll get the joy and you get there and you go, 
I feel no joy. Like, well, what and the that's hell? the thing this is, is you not think what I wanted. If I get the job, then if I get the promotion, if I buy the new car, if I, if I lose the weight, then if I did be, this, if I lose the weight, then I'll be happy. If I get the makeover or get the Botox or the boobs yes. or, you know, whatever it is that we're, we're setting. And then the reality is, is that each time you do, make that milestone, it's like, okay, well now, now I got to do this in order to be happy. And now I got to do this in order to be happy. And, you know, for the longest time in my life, I didn't believe in happiness. I didn't believe that you could be happy. I, be I believed that you could be content, but I didn't believe that you could be happy. And that just spoke to a lot of things that I had to unravel from my childhood and my life as an adult. And so it's interesting that you know, just stopping as I walk the beach and watching the sun sparkle on the water makes me happy. And that has nothing yes. to do with how much money I make, with what kind of car I drive, with where I live, with who I'm friends with. That has yeah. to do with just being present in that moment and looking out there and seeing that sun sparkle like a million tiny little diamonds on the water going, yes. this makes me happy. And even figuring that out. I... I, I can't believe it. I'm like, gosh, I'm 43 and I'm just, I think, learning myself or relearning. I mean, but the simplest things, I love water. Mm. I don't know that I ever paid attention to what I love or what I don't or what brings me joy or I don't know that I even knew what joy was or right. I thought I did. When I am with water, in water, I hear water, I feel joy. And I don't know if it's because I'm all fire. Literally, I am. Mm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But but just learning that and going, oh, I like, I like water. I love watching Murder, She Wrote. I'm 43. <laughs> it's like, why do I watch Murder, She Wrote? I turn an episode on every night, whether I'm cleaning the kitchen or I'm doing something. It just brings me joy. I don't know. It makes me feel good. Oh, It's interesting, too, if you think about things like I started taking pleasure in hand washing my dishes and not using the dishwasher because oh. I'm, I'm single and live alone. So it's just me. And I was I don't remember what I was reading, but they were talking about just taking joy or finding happiness in doing the simple things like you're washing the dishes. So you start out, the sink has dishes in it. And when you get done, the dishes are clean, they're on the counter, or you've dried them and put them away or whatever it is. But to be present in that moment of going through the process of washing those dishes. And it was like, you know, a couple of times I found myself just standing there going, and it's not like I have a great kitchen. It's not like right. my, my, this, the window, there's a window above my sink, none of that, but there's just something about doing that. That's something about, to me, you start out with something that's messy and when you get done, it's clean, right? But so you, know, you can find gratitude in that too, because correct. if you thought about it, I'm washing a dish. What does that mean? That means I ate on the dish. What does that mean? That means I had food to eat. What does that mean? I had the means to buy there food. You go. That, that is the truth. And that's what I meant to say when I left this, this, uh, corporate position about a month and a half ago, it was the first time where I thought, okay, I, I get it. I'm really happy being at home. I am super happy that maybe I don't have the financial means that I necessarily want, but that I can, I can do this. And so I thought, okay, I don't need structure. I'll, I can create my own and I'm going to be the best freaking mom and wife so that nobody in the family wants me to even go back to work because I realized, <laughs> but it took me a lot of things for me to go, okay, I love it. So now I'm like, man, the kitchen, thank you. I'm going to clean my kitchen because I want to be here and I want the space and I want 
I know I'm so clear now, but when you asked, was it hard? It was really hard. And I think just now this year, the fifth year that I thought, okay, I have freedom and flexibility, but then now what am I going to do with it? Because I really feel like I wasted a couple of years floundering and um, not now. But don't you feel like all of where, where, and I sometimes say I, I spent, you know, way too many years flailing my way through life, right? There were a lot of things that happened that I wished hadn't happened. But then I look back on it and I think about all of those things, even some of them that were scary or hard or, you know, just really made me miserable if I take a step back and remove that being overly emotionally involved in the whole thing, it's like I went through those spaces. I had to make those mistakes. I had to cry those tears. I had to step in some of those holes and get swallowed up by the giant monster of whatever it was in the moment to be able to figure out who the fuck I am on the other side. Well, I think that's part of the story. I thought I would have this book written over a year ago, but now I know I couldn't have because I didn't have the ending of this one book of this story. I didn't have you. We have to have that. It's like watching a movie and it blinks out and you missed 15 minutes and you're like, well, I got to watch. I got to know what happened in those 15 minutes. Yeah, we we are. We are supposed to have that. Um, I'm just over the regretful. I was living a little bit regretful, which wasn't my nature, but I'm not there now. I'm telling you that this is a good time. It's just a good time right now. Well, and I think that now that you have been able to really change your perspective, I mean, 20 years is a long time to work anywhere, right? I mean, you know, my dad worked for 30 years at the phone company and retired. How many people do you know now work that long for a company and then retire? None. Did you know that the average amount of time that a young 20 year old or early twenties will stay is I think 1.2 or 1.8 years at a company. Yeah, if they're lucky, usually it's six months and they jettison off to the next thing. Yeah. Because yeah. it used to be, and you know, that mentality came out of those after World War II years and into the 50s where everybody had the opportunity to try and buy a house and have a car and a chicken in every pot and, you know, all of those things. And it was, that's really what was sold is like, you know, have a house, have a home, have a family. The American dream. The- have the picket fence, have yeah. the car, have, you know, do all of those things. And you, and then you were supposed to stay for a long time at a job because that showed consistency and, you know, all of these things. But the reality is, is that there were whole groups of people working in jobs that were miserable doing what they were doing because they thought that's, that's right. what was expected of them. Well, and so, creativity was not embraced. No, it wasn't even, I don't think really 15 years ago. I don't think not like it is now the idea of pursuing, uh, right. I mean, you'd, you'd hear someone say my passion, my passion is to put food on the table. Well, it's like people didn't even tap into maybe if they had a gift or they had a desire for something. No. And, and, they wouldn't dare risk losing everything they just got. Well, and I think even even in the last five years, things have changed exponentially from where they were before. And if you look at the amount of women 
that are starting their own businesses or doing side hustles or, you know, I know I got to, I know I got to pay my bills and, you know, what's the minimum I need to make doing whatever it is that I don't really love so that I have room to be able to do these things over on the Uh other side that actually fuel my soul, my passion, my creativity, whatever it is. And, you know, I mean, who knew anything about an influencer, right? Exactly. Three years ago, four years ago, no one knew what the hell that was. No, I know it. And now it's a term that anyone who has a business knows. Anybody, because because you want them for your marketing and, <laughs> and for other reasons. I mean, seriously, no, I agree. Um, things so are changing. I, I- and I just, I look at things like that and I look at, you know, cause I'm 57 and I'm, I'm looking at people that are my age. A lot of us lost our jobs in the crash, right? 10, 11 years ago, yeah. I was unemployed for two years plus, and then underemployed se- severely for several years after that. And it was after all of that happened that I realized that I didn't want to go back into the corporate arena. I mean, for one thing, I couldn't even get anybody to call. I mean, I was like everybody else out there trying to find mm-hmm. a job and, you, you know, no callbacks, no, I do, you know, phone interviews and never hear back. And it was one of the hardest times to go through because like, I have all these skills, I have all these experiences, this knowledge, this talent, and nobody wants me. Right. That's what I went through for a while too. So now what do I do kind of thing? And the reality for me now is that it's more important about who I work with because we spend a lot of time, right? Working every day and, and the company and their values and how they treat their employees. And I just became so aware of the fact that I am not nor have I ever been and nor will I ever be a big corporate person. That's just not who I am. And so it's, it, it's so, and I sometimes go, you know, why did it take you so freaking long to figure that out? And I still think that it's this whole, you know, bill of goods that we get sold of this Absolutely. is what your life should look like. And, you know, as women, we didn't always have the capacity to be able to speak out, to carve out our own thing, to to be able to be seen and heard and taken seriously. And so, you know, now that we're more than 50% of the population, things are going to start changing, I think, big time. But I think they are. And I just think that women are just a little bit more in touch with being able to say, well, that path didn't work or this didn't work out or whatever it is, but I'm going to try this over here instead. Well, I think our egos are different than men's. And so yeah, I think obviously not all, we could never completely generalize, but <laughs> uh, well, let's just say this, anybody who's willing to build a business, any type of entrepreneurship or risk, even what I'm doing, we're all clearly somewhat of a risk taker, whether we knew it or not, because we're doing it. And whether, even if there's no overhead, if it failed, it could be like, well, what's the worst that can happen? I lost $200 in that software or I, you know, I bought the microphone and it didn't work or I didn't love it. Okay. It's a wash. It's not like you're having to go buy a brick and mortar and you know, you've got your whole life savings into it. So anyone who's willing to do it is actually willing to fail. They're willing to fail. And, you know, and I look at things like how long did it take Thomas Edison before he developed the light bulb? 
Yeah, I can't like, remember, but I know a lot. Yeah, who like ever a got lot it the of, first like time? a lot of times, right? I mean, and that's how you learn. The more times you try something and fail, you learn something new every single time you do it, right? Even if it's also, nothing more than this frustrates the hell out of me. Yeah, but then you also realize how much you love it because you you, you really have to choose how much do I want it and am I willing to do what it takes to actually get it? 